0: Welcome to the Bazgrim TV audio archive. Bazgrim TV is a YouTube channel focused on socially charged MMORPGs, specifically Pantheon Rise of the Fallen which is an upcoming MMO that emphasizes community and cooperation. Now let me tell you right off the bat that I am not affiliated with the developers in any way. I am just a longtime fan of the game, and I believe that Pantheon is an important part of the future of the genre, so I want to tell you everything I've learned from my years of following its development. So. This podcast is where we go way back in the YouTube catalog to revisit some of my best videos in audio form only. That way, you can listen to them anywhere you go. This episode is actually gonna be my first two-part audio archive episode. So this is gonna be the audio from two different videos that were recorded at two different times combined into one episode because they both basically cover the same topic And that is the world of Terminus. How it's laid out and how we as players will be traveling around it. So in part one, we'll give kind of a general overview. And then in part two, we'll dig deeper into some of the more important aspects of it. You're listening to the Bazgrim TV Audio Archive. First, I'd like to go over the basics real quick, just for those that may already know, to make sure that we're all on the same page. There are three known continents in Terminus, and I say known because the lore is very clear that the world actually contains many more continents. They just haven't been explored or charted yet, so that leaves a lot of room for content in future expansions. But, as far as we're concerned now, the three continents that we'll have access to are King's Reach, Rainfall, and White Thaw. Now, as you can see, this atlas we have here is in need of a bit of an update, as it doesn't include the continent of White Thaw. But, the lore says that White Thaw is directly to the south of Rainfall. not this landmass to the northeast, as some people may think, despite White Thaw indeed being an icy continent. When you start your journey in Terminus, you can choose from nine races. Each one has its own unique home city, and each of the three continents has three starting cities. So King's Reach is where you'll find the human home city of Thronefast, the elven home city of Fairthale, and the halfling home city of Sorhireth, which is in a zone called Wild's End. On the continent of Rainfall, you'll find the darkmere home city of Cyreni's Rest, the Ogre home city of Broken Maw, and the Scar home city of Scargol. And lastly, on Whitethaw, you'll find the Dwarf home city of Kadassa, the Archai home city of Suroa, and actually floating somewhere above Whitethaw is Skyhold, The Home of the Gnome. So now that we got that out of the way, let's consider the sheer size of the world. I see this question a lot, but it can be a hard thing to quantify exactly in terms of square miles or something like that. But here's what we can say for sure. For one thing, Pantheon is a zone-based game. In other words, it's not seamless, so there will be some loading screens. However... Because most of the zones themselves are quite large, you won't be running into zone walls nearly as often as you would in some of the older games. And based on what we know now, determining how many zones there will be at launch is mostly a matter of educated guesswork. There are 22 different zones listed on the atlas we have here, and while I haven't seen a developer specifically confirm or deny it, it's technically possible that a few of these zones may not be accessible at launch and will instead be added in a later expansion or update. But again, the Atlas also doesn't include the continent of Whitethaw, which has the three racial cities plus Amberfate, which we have seen in a stream before. The Atlas also doesn't show a few of the other zones that we know to exist from previous streams, such as Near Cave... South Sail Peninsula, and Black Rose Keep, all of which are on the continent of King's Reach. So that, doing some quick math, brings the total known zones to 29, but I think it's safe to assume that there will end up being a few more than that if there are more unmarked zones on Rainfall and white thaw, like there are on King's Reach. Ultimately, the size of the world mostly comes down to the player's perception of it, What's important is that it be big enough to feel like it's a real, convincing, and immersive world that you can get lost in, and will provide you with enough interesting experiences to keep you busy for a lot longer than just a few months. In the September 2018 Pantheon newsletter, communications director Ben Dean talked about how the feeling of a zone's size is determined much more by the density of content rather than the actual total square footage, and how they're applying these principles to their world building moving forward. Quote, we've taken a lot of the feedback from what the PA testers have given us in the first three phases, and approached Fairthale in a more refined way. We don't want to put in big zones just for the sake of having big zones. They need to have content to keep them engaging. On the same token, having too many pockets of content can effectively shrink the zone, This is because the pockets stand out as unique experiences, which are much smaller in size in comparison to the entire zone. The association then becomes much smaller in scope and effectively shrinks your zone. On the opposite side of things, if zones are too big, without enough content, they feel like vast wastelands. So the trick is in the balancing. Our zones are technically big when looking at it from a pure landmass perspective, but that size is almost irrelevant once you start splitting it into the content pockets." Unquote. And because I know i will get comments about it, I just wanted to clarify real quick that even though this quote describes the development of Fairthale The Zone in September 2018, and we are now in July 2019 awaiting the results of what's known as Project Fairthale, it's important to note that, for one thing, an early version of Fairthale was available testers in pre-Alpha 4 at the end of 2018. But more importantly, Project Fairthale is a much much bigger endeavor than just building this one zone. If you want more information about Project Fairthale, I made a video explaining it in detail, which I'll provide a link to. But anyway, now that we've got a decent idea about the size of the world, Let's move on and take a quick look at the landscape, and how those zones will be connected. When looking at the Atlas, the keen observer may notice some discrepancies in the layout of the world, such that it does not always abide by the natural rules of the real world as we know it. There may be some mountain ranges, rivers, etc. that don't really make sense. And even though the Atlas is mostly just conceptual, it's still something to think about. But this is another case of how the lore strongly governs the gameplay. In this forum post, CCO Brad McQuaid explains that, quote, The idea of different pieces of planets colliding with Terminus, bringing new races, their architecture, their gods, etc., gives us a ton of creative freedom and a really fun sandbox to play in. Part of that freedom means that one region of the world doesn't have to make sense geographically when compared to an adjacent region. The topography can totally change in surprising, unexpected, and yes, unrealistic ways. Yes, this includes the directions rivers may seem to be running, or any other anomaly you may perceive in the Atlas. Pantheon's world is truly fantasy, with an emphasis On the fantastic. He then goes on to provide a few examples. I want to see lava flows intersecting a glacier. I want to see not only spectacular man made structures, but spectacular natural structures. And while this isn't explicit confirmation that we'll see lava flows intersecting glaciers, it does give you a good idea of the overall approach they're taking to world building. So, you can imagine the sort of dramatic twists you might see in your journeys in Terminus. And while we're talking about it, fans of classic games such as EverQuest might remember those weird winding tunnels in between zones that often felt way too long when you were being chased by a train of mobs. But, just to be clear, in another forum post, Eridun states that those sorts of awkward zone connections won't be present in Pantheon, and the world builders are designing the zones in such a way to give you a reasonable amount of freedom to move around, especially in outdoor zones, so that you can eventually find a way to get to almost any area you can see. So then that leaves us with the big question. How are we actually gonna get around in this world? Well, needless to say, the primary form of travel is running. And, yes, there will be some abilities that help you run faster. But there are also some zones that are very vertical, so climbing will also sometimes be an important form of travel. But if your climbing skill isn't very high, don't worry, because some classes have abilities such as the Rogue's Length of Rope to assist you and your group with climbing. But let's say you've got that need for speed, and that's still not fast enough well, there will also definitely be some mounts to help you get from point A to point B. We know that much for sure. However, that doesn't necessarily include flying mounts. Or at least there's not any plans to have them at launch. But it's important to note that the Pantheon FAQ clarifies that, quote, if we do offer flying mounts, either before or after launch, the goal will be to make travel more fun, not to allow players to avoid bypass or skip over large chunks of content." Unquote. That pretty much covers traveling by land and by air, so naturally the other aspect of traveling is by sea. The most basic of which is swimming, and it's probably not much of a surprise that you'll be able to swim in Pantheon. In fact, not only is it an option, but in some cases it may even be required as one of the races in Terminus, the Dark Mirror, is an aquatic race. But that raises an interesting question. Is there a limit to how much you can reach by just swimming? Could you theoretically be able to swim all the way from one continent to another? How much underwater content will there be? Well, when creative director Chris Joppa Perkins was on the Voices of Terminus show in 2018, he answered that exact question.
1: Theoretically, yes, you could. Um, The way that our zones are set up um, you you should be able to do that. Um, now, whether you will get swallowed up by something or um, oh, God, whether you will so find nice. the uh, the water, the, the deep water, if you will, the big water. When we, when we go to the beach with my little children, I always um, love that moment where they first come over the hill and see the ocean, and I, I always talk to them about the big water in the moment where they see the big water for the first time. So when you're dealing with big water in Pantheon, um, it's, I think it would be right that you would fear it. And, Definitely. um, and, and I don't mean in the sense that, and I've, I've spoken about this before and I feel really strongly about this, that, um, we've seen some games in the last, you know, several years and it's worked well for them and it, and it's been, you know, good implementation for the most part, but it's essentially been overland content underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, Pantheon will, um, Will be more um, like what what we remember from the olden days where the kind of game where uh, rumors and myths like you know Megalodon and lake right Ray- here and um, things that people think they see in the deep and they're not sure and um, there's going to be uh, a lot of reason to to fear um, our water so whether someone would want
0: to swim from continent to continent, that's, that's a question in and of itself. So we can see that swimming will definitely be an option for traveling, even over long distances. But with that comes a lot of the same risk as traveling on land. However, those challenges may sometimes take different forms when in water, such as with the climate system. Joppa went on to describe how because traveling in and underwater may feel like a whole different world sometimes, that may affect how you prepare for those kinds of adventures.
1: Yeah, that's right, and we've talked about that on some of the streams too. About you know, uh, pressure being pressure, and anaerobic are the two atmospheres, or the two climates that come to mind with with uh, big water, with deep water. So it's when you see things down below that you want to try to get to, um, you're gonna you're gonna need to weigh that, and you may not be able to. And and that's where things like the dark Myrrh, for example, might. Um, might have a little bit of leg up uh with when we talk about racial passives um it may be that they have not just certain resistances resistance uh bonuses or penalties as a as a racial passive but some races like the dwarves like the dark Myrrh, i think you can expect to see some acclimation oriented um benefits and weaknesses as well
0: now let's say you need to travel long distances over water but you don't want to undergo all those risks of swimming. Will traveling by boat then be an option? Well, for one thing, when we look back at the Atlas, we see this zone called the Port of Rulun with a cute little boat next to it. So that offers a pretty decent hint, but once again, let's look to the Pantheon FAQ for the answer. Quote, we've not finalized how sea travel will work at launch, but eventually you'll be able to sail ships around the world definitely post-launch. Before all that is implemented, however, and by launch, some limited class abilities, like those that teleport you over land, would likely teleport you over water as well." End quote. Which, of course, is the perfect segue to bring us to the last form of travel, teleportation. But that word can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, In the class reveals, we can see a couple of abilities that seem to reference teleportation, but this list is by no means exhaustive. So let's once again go to Joppa for some clarification on how teleportation will work. There
1: will be ports. Uh, Certain classes will have certain ports um, to certain places that they will will gain over time. and We want to improve and evolve that system a little bit as well, where there may be certain... uh, you know, teleportation spells that classes get um, just as that class, but then it, it may be possible for, say, for example, a druid or a wizard to actually, in their travels, find areas in the world they can attune to um, and create port spells for themselves within a certain limited number um, to certain locations. So any given wizard may have standard port- teleportation abilities, but you may find one that has the unique ability to teleport to a certain area that another wizard may not have, and same for a druid or however however, we spread those out through the classes."
0: And as kind of a side note to that, the developers have also mentioned that there will be a separate caravan system, which allows you to log off while you're in a group, and then log back in a time later, and still be with your group, even if they moved during that time, so you can jump right back in on the adventure. Mechanics like this will be really important to help keep groups together, so you're not always wasting your playtime looking for a group to begin with. That's a really fundamental part of Pantheon. But of course, at the same time, there will also be limitations to that that mitigate abuse. But anyway, that's pretty much all we know about that system at this point, so I'll dig into that a bit more later in another video when we have more solid info. Okay. One last thing. I've now pretty much covered every known form of travel in Pantheon, but there's still one big question. Will there be maps to help you find your way around all this? I already mentioned the World Atlas, but what about individual zone maps? Well, to a degree, this is something that still needs to be determined in alpha and beta, once the world is more filled out and there are more people getting lost in it. But that doesn't mean the devs don't already have some solid ideas. So let's go to Joppo one last time to get the scoop on what the possibilities are.
1: There will not be a map. If we have a map, it'll be uh, something uh, most likely that would unfold as you actually explore the area. And it would be a map that you would open intentionally for you to put in your own um, information. Uh so if you want to mark a landmark, if you want to mark a POI, if you want to you know, make a note here or there, that would be for you to do, not, not the game to do for you.
0: Ultimately, the goal is for traveling to be part of the fun. That means making it exciting, risky, and challenging, but also meaningful and rewarding. So it shouldn't be so terrifying that everyone is too scared to walk outside the city, but at the same time, If you can get around too easily, you'll miss out on a lot of how huge, and dangerous, and intriguing the world of Terminus really is. Part 2 One thing I probably should have mentioned in the first video about the world of Pantheon is something that is not news, and in fact very fundamental to how the world of Terminus is being built. Yet, there still may be some people who are not aware of this, because by most modern MMO standards, it's actually pretty unconventional. And that is the fact that this is an open-world game, meaning everyone on a particular server will be sharing the same zones. There will be little to no instancing. So, for example, the game will not create a copy of a dungeon just for your group anytime you want. According to the FAQ, if there are any instances, they'll just be for very specific storytelling situations where preventing other players from interfering is essential to the story that they're trying to tell. But again, that would be kept to a minimum because that social aspect of being able to help strangers and also the fact that desirable items remain valuable by not having an unlimited supply are all key parts of the Pantheon experience. Now, of course, there are a lot of very positive implications and very negative implications for this, and you're probably already listing them all off in your head. But that's probably better suited for a separate video because It's just a very deep and debatable topic, and the devs do have some ideas for handling this a bit differently than in other games, to at least mitigate the negative interactions. But anyway, because the open-world design affects many aspects of the game, it's important that we keep this in mind as we continue to discuss world size and travel. Since this is an open-world game, it is theoretically possible to calculate how large the area of the world actually is. And while we may not be able to get exact numbers right now, Creative Director Chris Joppa Perkins has given us a rough estimate to get a sense of scale. Quote, Right now, it would take about 20 minutes to run from Thronefast to Fairthale on a dead straight path without run speed buffs. End quote. In other words, this is as the crow flies, that doesn't take into account all the walls, obstacles, and other interruptions you'll inevitably encounter when you're actually in it, which of course significantly increases the amount of time it would take you to get from point A to point B. This atlas isn't necessarily exactly to scale, and it also doesn't show the third continent of Whitethaw, which will be playable at launch. But I think it's important that we do our best to visualize how big the world will be. Let's say you miraculously found a bug that allows you to run through all walls and terrain and not even aggro anything. Then turn on auto run for 20 minutes. And actually, think about how long 20 minutes is. Even after doing that, you still will have spanned probably less than a third of the playable area in the game. Hopefully that gives you a better idea of just how much there will be to explore and how long it will take you to actually do that when you factor in all those obstacles along the way. And that's important for a game that aims to keep you intrigued for a lot longer than just a month or two.
1: So uh, the best way to coin what we're going for with the scale and flow of Pantheon's game world and the travel within it is that it all serves to create a sense of arrival um that's another way to think about kind of what we were hearing with um the uh in some of the feedback earlier on is that uh if the if the world is too small if the areas within the world are too small if there's not enough distance to travel between point a and point b that sense of of arrival is going to be missing um that sense of seeing things off in the distance or that sense of feeling like I've traveled a long way to get here, and so actually getting here feels really important.
0: Anyone who's been playing MMOs for long enough knows that even the biggest worlds will feel very small if players are given too many options for fast travel. You know how I said that obstacles and interruptions significantly increase the amount of time that it takes to get from point A to point B? Well, flying mounts, aka as the crow flies, would completely remove that element, and As of a year ago, flying mounts were still considered a maybe for the development plans in Pantheon, but since then, Joppa has drawn a hard line on his stance about flying mounts. Quote, as long as I'm here, Pantheon will never have flying mounts, end quote. It doesn't get much more clear than that, but there are of course a lot of other forms of fast travel that don't always get so out of control. For example, Jopla also provided an update on how the wizard and druid teleports will work. Quote, when a wizard approaches a gateway for the first time, they will be able to discover it. Part of that process includes speaking with the NPC gatewalker who oversees that portal. Whether through conversation or quest, the wizard will gain access to that gateway as part of their network. Every gateway they discover in this manner will become part of their ever-increasing network of gateways. Druids will encounter an identical process, utilizing Wandering Stones. Our plan is for the Wandering Stones and Gateways to become increasingly available to Druids and Wizards as part of a growing interconnected network. Wizards and Druids will then be able to access all of their discovered portal locations through a UI window. At higher levels, Druids and Wizards will be able to teleport themselves to the primary gateway or Wandering Stone in order to access the network more quickly. In addition, they'll eventually be able to bring their group members with them through the Gateway-slash-Wandering-Stone network." End quote. In part one of this video, I mentioned how the climbing system will be another important method of getting around the world. And as you can see by this footage, the climbing system has come a long way in the past year. And I also mentioned that rogues will have abilities such as length of rope to help their team members climb difficult surfaces. But this is another case where Joppa has since provided more detail on how that will actually work. The length
1: of rope is going to allow a rogue to take that advantage that they have and then extend that to their group. And um, the rogue rope is going to be a channeled ability it's going to be, I guess you would refer to as like an indefinite channeled where once you get into the length of rope state, you're going to drop it down. It's fun to talk about this because it's something that Kyle's kind of right on the, the, yeah, it's, it's fun to, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, but you're going to get into that kind of state where you've lowered the rope, it's a length of rope. And while you channel that, um, you can channel it indefinitely because you might have six people that need to climb up it. um, then they can climb, and uh, it's it's kind of it, it's it's not like a, a an infinite length. You can't stand like you know 200 meters off the ground and just drop this thing all the way down. But it will be improvable. So the length of rope is not static. It'll actually get get better, and that's going to be fun to to see eventually. But yeah, nice. um, while you channel it, uh, people can climb it. And if you take damage, though then your group's going to fall. The rope should snap. If you stop channeling the ability, you're, the people on the rope are going to fall.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's like the new evac for wizards. Yeah. Just drop people instead. So trust, trust your <laughs> rogues. But I should point out that exploration abilities in Pantheon go far beyond just rope. Several other classes will have unique tools that they can bring to the party to help access areas that they might not be able to otherwise. This isn't an exhaustive list, but for example, some of the abilities we know about so far are the druid's vine-woven bridge, which allows people to cross a wide gap. Warriors have battering ram, which uses their strength to open up access to certain areas that are blocked off. Summoners have summon ladder to help scale walls, and also summon raft, which makes traveling by water easier for a limited time. And I would also include the Paladin's brilliant Aegis, which says, quote, This ability can also serve as a brief light source in atmospheres of supernatural darkness, end quote. Light sources aid travel in a different sense, but don't underestimate the importance of visibility when traveling through Terminus. Or really anywhere, because, well, it's hard to go somewhere if you can't see where you're going. If you watch the developer gameplay streams, you'll notice that there's almost always some people carrying torches or other light sources.
1: Will weapons or armor have light sources? Yes, they will. Oh, look at Eridun right there. You can see him.
0: You can actually, actually, if you look
1: at Eridun's breastplate, you can see, oh, and you you can see the reflection of Zinx's item or just glow on Eridun's chestplate.
0: (laughs) That's pretty crazy.
1: In the glow of his swords on my uh, little mask there.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Look at that. Yep. But as the description of Brilliant Aegis suggests, not all darkness is the same, and those torches won't always be sufficient. One of the game's tenets is that, quote, player versus environment should involve more than NPCs, end quote. That way, you're not only preparing for what you're going to be fighting, but also how to get there. And that makes it feel more like you're exploring a real world. I mentioned in part one how the climate system will play a major role in that, but the climate system only accounts for natural obstacles, like heat, cold, wind, etc. The flip side of that is the atmosphere system, which accounts for the supernatural obstacles. Whereas atmospheres are more of your unnatural phenomenon,
1: things that you would find in a fantasy world, and so darkness is one, uh, what you would think of as almost supernatural darkness or You know, darkness that goes beyond the natural. Whether we would have entire environments like whole zones or areas like that, I don't know, but certainly there will be pockets where you will enter an atmosphere of complete blackness. And, you know, it may be the the torch and the range of the torch lighting is all you have. It could be that torches um, are even rendered ineffective in those environments. And so you're going to be focused more on sound cues or, um, you know, other things that
0: maybe aren't quite ready to share yet. So yes, darkness, lighting, those things will play a major role. But if you don't have a paladin in your group, there are artifacts you can find, such as the Crest of Illumination, which will counter the effects of the darkness atmosphere. However, that isn't the only artifact that you might need in your travels. For example, the Skyhold Grappler can, quote, assist in advanced terrain traversement and the frenetic floor is a different atmosphere which requires special boots to walk across. Those are just a few ways that atmospheres may make your journeys more interesting, to say the least. As a quick recap, we covered the size and scale of an open world, fast travel, including flying mounts and teleports, and some examples of items and abilities that make getting around on foot a little bit easier. Well that's it for this episode, I hope you learned something from it, and if you did, make sure you're subscribed now because I'll be releasing one of these each and every week until I've gone through my entire archive, and then even after that I'll continue releasing all of my new videos right here in audio form as well. So while you're here, remember that you can rate and review this episode, and share it with some of your friends that you think might be interested in Pantheon so that we can spread the word about the game to even more people and grow the community. So until next week, stay curious and adventure on.